Hi, everyone. Well, this week, we're going to do something a little bit different for the podcast. We're going to do a Q&A around prayer. We've been doing a bunch of prayer training with our people that pray at TNT and people that pray and lead our prayer groups every week. Um, and so we're going to do a Q&A answering their questions about prayer. And so I have with me here, Danielle. Danielle, do you want to say hi? Hi, guys. And I have with me, Kira Lee. Hello. Uh, do you guys want to just introduce yourself? Why, why do you care about prayer? That's a great question, Joel. Um, I am a fourth year student studying music and science. I think prayer is such a blessing. It's, it's something that God has offered us freely through Jesus. We get to connect with the God of the universe and, and participate in a conversation that he has started. So um, it's really such a privilege yeah, I'm, I'm just delighted to be here with you guys and talk about it. That's awesome. Uh, I'm Kiralee. I'm a staff worker at Christian Union. I'm a human being who sometimes finds prayer really hard, but I've also been a Christian for a long time and I know that prayer is the means by which uh, I live out that relationship with God and see him at work and get to give him thanks and praise for what he's doing. And uh, it's just a deep and beautiful time of communion with God at its best. So I'm really excited to keep on encouraging all of us in prayer as we go along our lives. Awesome. Well, everybody, you're going to be a fly on the wall with me this session as we let these two have a conversation. And so I'm going to give it to them to start. Off you go, Danielle. Thanks, Joel. We've got a lot of questions here. Um, uh, the first couple are to do with God's will. Uh, so we'll explore that together. And the last few are more practical questions about how we can pray in everyday life. So, Kiralee, so the first question is, how can we wrestle with God can we really change his mind? What's the difference between his sovereign will and his changeable will? How does that all work? Why should we even pray that his will be done anyway if it's going to just be done? Sure. It's a very excellent and complex question. Uh, there's lots and lots of parts to it. Uh, so part of the question is about God's will. Can we change God's mind? And there were quite a few questions that came in on that topic. Can we change God's mind? What about examples like Moses, when Moses changed God's mind? Is that what we should be aiming for in prayer? Uh, how do we negotiate God's will with that? Like, should we be, if God is acting in line with his will, should we be trying to change his mind? So they're all excellent questions. Uh, let's unpack them, yeah, in a few different ways. So let's start off with the question about changing God's mind and the example of Moses uh, because there's actually only a few examples in the Bible of people praying and changing God's mind uh, and it's pretty specific circumstances. So uh, somebody asked the question and gave the example of Moses in Exodus 32. We've got Amos in Amos chapter 7. We've got David in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, in those cases, God says what he's going to do, which is all three of them he's going to judge his people. And then someone prays and asks him to change his mind, to relent. And it looks like in those three instances, he does, uh, although they're all a little bit different. So they're not uh, identical to each other, but they are really similar. So in all of those situations, God's people have sinned and God is promising to judge them or he's in the process of judging them uh, and punishing their sin. And then Moses or David or Amos prays to God and ask God to relent and not completely destroy his people. And God does relent in those three circumstances. He, he stops short of totally destroying his people, but he does still bring severe punishment on his people. He does punish them for their sins. 
Uh, so, okay, those three people managed to change God's mind, it appears, uh, but is that really what's going on? There's actually a whole sweeping Old Testament pattern of this kind of thing happening. So the people sin, God punishes their sin, but he relents and he doesn't completely destroy them. He offers them repentance. He restores them. He forgives them. Uh, he stays faithful to his covenant. Uh, he keeps that people that he promised to Abraham. He keeps them going. So sometimes God relents in response to prayer. So like those three instances that we talked about, but more often he relents because of his own decision. So he's in the midst of punishing his people. He says, okay, that's enough. I'm not going to punish them any further. I'm going to save a remnant. I'm not going to completely destroy them. And he does that without human intervention. So I think there's a much bigger picture there than just that one instance of Moses praying and God changing his mind. I don't think we're meant to use that as a template for how we should uh, pray to God um, because it's a part of a much bigger pattern of God uh, punishing his people for sin but not completely destroying them. And uh, that's because of his character, because of his mercy and compassion, and that's a lot more what's in view, I think, in that instance rather than something special about Moses' prayer or, um, yeah, some uh, particular need to change God's mind. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks for providing the context around that. Mm -hmm. So did Moses actually change God's mind? How does that fit in the bigger picture? Yep, sure thing. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a, a tough question to tackle, I think, because you can look at it from lots of different perspectives. Um, but I think the most helpful way to look at it is, this is a typical evangelical answer, but yes and no. Um, <laughs> so feel free to roll your eyes and laugh at that all you like. But um, there is a sense in which Moses changes God's mind, but there's also a sense in which God always intended for Moses' prayer to be the means by which he changed his mind. So mm. From one perspective, God was never going to completely wipe out and destroy his people because he made a promise to Abraham that he wouldn't do that. And it's in his character to keep his promises and to stay faithful. So uh, it would be against his character to totally wipe out his people. At the same time, God intended for Moses to pray, please don't wipe out the people as the means by which God would limit his judgment. Um, so I think uh, J.I. Packer puts it in a really helpful way in his book, Concise Theology, uh, basically what he says is there doesn't need to be a tension between God's sovereignty and our prayers because God ordains not just the end but the means. So God plans the outcome and he plans that our prayers would be the way that that outcome is achieved. So, you know, God always intended to judge his people's sin without destroying them and he always intended that it should be Moses' prayer that causes him to limit his judgment. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So to follow on then, should we be praying for God to change his mind? Is that a good thing to pray? Sure. Uh, well, I think I said before, I don't think that we're meant to be necessarily following Moses' example in this instance um, for all those reasons that we've already talked about. But uh, also because our circumstances are pretty different to Moses's or to any of those Old Testament circumstances that we've looked at. So uh we don't usually get a direct word from God saying, I'm definitely going to do this or I'm definitely going to do that. There's some things we know God will always do. So he'll always work to save people in Christ. Uh, he'll always work for Christ's name to be known and proclaimed and honoured around the world. Um, he'll always punish sin. We know he'll always do those things. And to ask him not to do those things would be a silly thing to pray, right? Because that's uh, his intention, his will and his character. And they're things that as Christians we should all be on board with. So we wouldn't pray 
to God to change his mind about those things. And then there's a whole bunch of things that we kind of know in general what his will is, but we don't know specifically. So um, I don't know, you know, whether God plans for me to get married. You probably don't know that either yet. Um, You don't know whether God intends to save your non-Christian friend or family member. Um, You don't know whether God is going to ordain for scientists to find a cure for cancer tomorrow. Um, So since we don't know what he's going to do in each of those circumstances, it's a bit silly to ask him to change his mind Mm. because we don't know what he would be changing it from or to. But in general, we know what his will is in those kind of circumstances, right? So we could pray, please make me content whether I end up married or single. We could pray, please save my friends and family because we know that his intention is for people to be saved. So that's a prayer to pray in line with what we already know about his will. Um, We could pray for a cure for diseases because we know that God's intention is to heal, even though ultimately he does that in Christ. It's also a good thing to pray for sort of humanity now. So there's lots of things where we kind of only know in general and not in specifics. And I think in that circumstance, it just logically doesn't make sense to pray for God to change his mind when we don't know what his mind is in the first place. Does that make sense? So I don't think it's the most helpful question we could ask of does my does my prayer change God's mind? Yeah, yeah. Does does that mean so in those circumstances um, that prayer is still powerful because God is sovereign? Like to so say, take cancer. But if we pray for cancer, um, someone to find a cure to cancer, not pray for cancer, um, <laughs> that uh, God might be sovereign over the means and the ends, and our prayer for someone to find the cure to cancer might be the means that God ordains to provide that outcome. Yeah. And so prayer is still powerful in that regard. Yep, that's right. And so you may not know exactly how God's going to do it or exactly what it would look like, uh, even if ultimately the cure for cancer is for Jesus to return and all sickness and illness to cease, if that's the way that God provides the cure for cancer, or if he provides a scientific medical cure that comes about tomorrow, uh, either of those options would be good answers to the prayer that you've prayed and he may well have been using your prayers and the prayers of other people around the world to be making that outcome possible. So what is a more helpful question then? Yeah, so I think instead of thinking about how can we change God's mind, uh, it's probably, well, I think the question that's actually underlying that, it is a better question for us to ask, and I think it's the question we're actually asking is what happens when we pray? Are we actually having any effect? Um, so we've talked about, you know, God using our prayers as the means by which he achieves the outcome. Is that all that's happening? Is there more than that happening? Does our prayer mean anything? Does it do anything? Um, so I think the answer to that is yes, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here talking about prayer uh, as if it was important because I believe it really is important and it does a lot of things in a lot of ways. So let's talk about a few of the things that I think prayer does and achieves in us and in the world. The first thing is that prayer is really about being in relationship with God. So God speaks to us through his word in the Bible, and then he helps us to understand his word by his spirit. And then once we've heard his voice and we've understood it through his word, then we can speak back to him. And that's what we're doing when we pray. We talk to him about himself. We talk to him about us and what's happening in our lives. We talk to him about the world and what's going on there. Uh, We get to have that two-way interaction with God, that real relationship and prayer allows that in a way that nothing else does. 
Um, so that's happening all the time, that two-way conversation as we read God's word and as we respond to him in prayer, whether that's we've taken an hour to pour out all our thoughts and feelings and concerns to God or whether we've you know, just quickly said a one-sentence prayer. Um, we know that we're in that relationship with God and that he always hears us as as we pray. So I think that's one of the really important things that it's doing. And honestly, that would be enough, but there's lots of other things going on in prayer as well. So um, yeah, I think prayer is also living out the relationship that Christ has won for us with God. So um, we can only relate to God because of what Christ's done for us. And we can only approach God in prayer because of what Christ's done for us. And it just seems like it would be really um, looking a gift horse in the mouth, I guess, to not make use of or not live out that relationship. That is such an odd expression. Uh, Yeah, I don't know where (laughs) it comes from. I was a bit confused. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. That's a whole other podcast. Where does the gift horse expression come from? Yeah. (laughs) What does it actually mean, though? Basically, I don't know. I don't know how to explain the expression, but what I mean by using it is it would be neglecting this incredible gift that's been given to you if you didn't then actually live out the relationship. Like Christ has gone to such a cost to make it possible for you to approach the Father in prayer. How could you not make use of that and make the most of that, I guess? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. We'll have to research the gift horse thing. (laughs) See where it comes from. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Maybe we can put it in the notes. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's tons of other stuff happening when we pray. Um, Honestly, we could write a book about it. Yeah, I Many don't, have been written about it. Plenty have been written yeah. about it, exactly. Um, but I'll give you a couple of a uh, couple of other things that I think are happening in prayer uh, and we can chat about them. Uh, so I think in prayer we're giving thanks for what we've already received and we're asking to continue receiving God's blessing. So uh, it's not like you're kind of one and done as a Christian. It's not like you accept salvation in Christ and then kind of ignore God for the rest of your life because you're already in Um it's again, it's that relationship of constantly giving, receiving, that relationship of constantly asking God for his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his help, and then constantly receiving it from him. And prayer is the way that we do that. So we don't start by grace and continue in our own strength, but we live every moment by grace. And prayer acknowledges that, I think, and is the way of expressing that. Uh, in prayer, we're being conformed to Christ-likeness. So we have our will and our desires and our goals transformed in line with his as we pray according to his will. Uh, Prayer is one of the ways, one of the big ways that God protects and strengthens us against sin. Um, And that's a big theme through the New Testament. If you read various uh, exhortations to prayer, a lot of it comes along with, you know, watch out for the devil's attacks or watch out that you don't fall into temptation. Pray and be alert. They Mm. often go together. So I think that's that's, very much in the garden, isn't it? Jesus Mm. tells his disciples to pray. Yep. um, And that you watch that you don't fall into temptation and pray. And that's the the kind of means in which they're to not fall into temptation. They do and they fall asleep, but that's the instruction. Yeah. And it's not only there, it's probably about five other places as well. So yeah, it's a really big theme in the New Testament. Absolutely. Prayer as protection. Um, Prayer is also repentance. So the Christian life is one of constant repentance, constantly coming before God, confessing our sins and receiving his forgiveness. Uh, How do we do that? We do that by praying. We do that by talking to him, by Uh, Again, living out that relationship that we already have. Uh, Prayer really helps us as we cast all our burdens on Christ, as we uh, receive God's peace through Christ, as we entrust all of our cares to God and know that he's powerful enough to take care of them. Uh, So it's not just 
yeah, it's not just a good and important thing to do, but it's actually good for us as well, uh, something that really helps us in our lives. Uh, we've already talked about prayer being a way of participating in the work that God's doing in the world, so being the means by which he carries out his work. Um, prayer is important for us in our growth as well, in our perseverance, so not just protecting us against sin, but also helping us to grow as Christians, helping us to grow towards maturity, helping us to keep on walking with God day after day, year after year. Uh, and it's also a way of setting our sights on the future. Uh, so I read somewhere recently that prayer is future focused. And I think that's really helpful to think about. It's not just, it, it is living in the relationship we already have with God now, but it's also focusing on what is coming. So we're resetting our vision on the return of Christ. We're looking forward with anticipation to that new creation, to that eternal glory. Uh, and that's something that we don't get the opportunity to do in a lot of other places in our lives. So I think prayer is really important for that. Don't you love it when you can think of, I read this somewhere, but you can't remember the book? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that's a great segue to the fact that uh, underneath this podcast, wherever you're listening to it from, uh, there's a bunch of show notes. Uh, and in that, we're going to put all of the resources and a v- huge bunch of resources I think that Kiralee has, um, whether it's books or articles or whatever else. Uh, and so make sure you check that out. Nice. Yeah, that's you, a great Daniel. segue. And just to recap the question, we started off with, do our prayers have any effect on anything? And I think we have sufficiently answered that to say, yes, it affects everything. Yes, mm. I think so. Yeah, yeah, we're nearly 20 minutes into the podcast. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Let's crack on. <laughs> so our next question is a bit more specifically focused on Matthew six fourteen to 15. And I'll just read it. It's at the end of the Lord's Prayer. It says... For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What does that mean? Can we really only be forgiven if we forgive others? Aren't we already forgiven through the cross? Yeah, this is an excellent question. And it's part of the really uncomfortable teaching of Jesus. It's actually not just in this passage, but also in other places as well. So uh, Matthew 18, you've got the parable of the unforgiving servant, where after telling that par- parable, he says something very similar at the end. Uh, you've got Mark eleven twenty five, where Jesus says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. Uh, it's, it's something that crops up again and again in Jesus' teaching, and it makes us really uncomfortable because it doesn't line up with or it feels like it doesn't line up with the gospel of grace, uh, which we sort of know from the broader sweep of things. Uh, But we don't get to just discount some teachings of Jesus because we don't feel like they line up with our understanding. So Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) How do we actually reconcile that with what we we understand to be the gospel? Uh, And I think part of how we do that is coming to it in context. So looking at it not just as a a line at the end of the prayer or uh, in verse 12, he pretty much says the same thing in the prayer, Um, but to look at it in the context of the whole prayer and the context of the whole Sermon on the Mount. So, um, so let's do that. When we, when we look at the context and when we put all of those teachings together, um, I guess we can see that there's a direct link between the forgiveness that Jesus followers are asking from God. So in the prayer, they're praying uh, for God to forgive their sins as they forgive the sins of others. Um, and they receive that forgiveness through Christ. That's what the question asker has pointed out. Uh, so there's a real connection between the forgiveness they ask and receive from God and the forgiveness that they show to other people. 
those things are inseparable. So when we're regularly praying and we're confessing our sin and we're asking God to forgive us in Christ, uh, when we receive that full and that free forgiveness, how can we not be shaped into being forgiving people ourselves? And if we're consistently unforgiving towards other people, if we've got hard hearts and we don't uh, have an attitude of forgiveness, then we're not reflecting the character of the God that we claim to follow. Um, And that suggests, I think, that we haven't actually understood how deep and hurtful our sin is and how deep and full his forgiveness is. Uh, So if I'm an unforgiving Christian, then I need to ask myself, have I actually received God's forgiveness? Uh, If I want to say that I'm a Christian who has received forgiveness in Christ, how can that not then have an effect on my life? How can it not affect my attitude towards other people? And I think if that's where you're at, if you're someone who would say you've received God's forgiveness, but you feel like you have a hard heart towards other people and you are unforgiving towards other people, that's a thing to take to God in prayer and actually talk to him about and uh, ask him to show you uh, if and where you need to change. Um, Yeah, but the, the general vibe and the overall teaching of Jesus on this matter is that forgiveness that we receive from God and forgiveness that we give to others go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And so if you are unforgiving, you need to ask whether you've actually received that forgiveness. And if you have received forgiveness in Christ and you've got an unforgiving heart, that's a key place to ask God to change and uh, do a work in your life to make you a forgiving person. We haven't talked at all about what forgiveness looks like or what are the circumstances in which you should or should not forgive. Like, do you need to forgive somebody if they're not repentant or anything like that? We're not going to get into that today. Uh, My recommendation, if you're a CU student, go talk to Stu about that. It's one of his favorite topics and he would love to chat with you more about it. There you go. I never knew that. (laughs) So just to be clear, you're saying that uh, forgiving others is not a condition of salvation, but an outworking of salvation. That is very clearly and closely linked. Exactly. They're so clearly and closely linked that you really can't have one without the other. And so if you have one without the other, you need to be asking whether you've really got them at all. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the discomfort that Jesus statements leave us with. I don't think he allows room for switching his words around to say, oh, it doesn't really mean that. I don't think he allows us that easy out. I think he forces us to ask that question. If you don't have both forgiveness from God and forgiveness for other people, then do you really have one or the other at all? Mm, That's a challenge. It is. So our next question is again from the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's Is God's will not done on earth that we should pray for it? When I first saw that question, I thought it was a really excellent one that I would never have thought of asking. Uh, so good on you, whoever asked that. That was really good. Uh, so the question being, what does it mean to pray your will be done when we believe that God's already sovereignly in control of all things? Uh, so are we just like redundantly praying for something that God's already doing? Uh, And I think, again, we want to look beyond just that line and at the context of the prayer and the Sermon on the Mount and the book as a whole. Um, So you start off the prayer with our Father in heaven and you have this incredible intimacy of praying to our Father. Uh, It's really sort of powerfully intimate. And you've also got in heaven the sort of sovereignty, the majesty of God all together in that one line, God's power, God's majesty, God's personal concern for his children, all there right at the start of the prayer. 
and then uh, moves on to hallowed be your name. So a prayer that God's name and his character and his person would be honored and glorified and treated as holy. And then we get to the part that's in our question. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, which are not two separate prayers. It's not your kingdom come full stop, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's actually one prayer. So they need to be read together. Uh, And God's kingdom arrives with Jesus. We know that from the start of the gospels where Jesus says the kingdom of God has drawn near, Uh, but its final fulfillment is still coming. It, It comes when Jesus returns. And that's what this prayer is asking us to pray for that God's kingdom would come in all its fullness, that Jesus would return and hand down the final judgment and usher in the new creation, then that God will dwell with his people in eternity. That's what your kingdom come is looking forward to. And in that context, we're praying then for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're longing for that glorious future. And in the meantime, we want to see God's kingdom advancing now on earth, Uh, this in-between time. We want to see people bowing their knees in obedience to God We want to see people worshipping God. We want to see people confessing Christ as their Lord and Saviour. We want to see all those things now. We want to see God's people living more and more in submission to his will, living as kingdom people now. And that's kind of where that prayer is going. So when you look at it in the context of uh, the prayer itself, as well as the whole Sermon on the Mount that surrounds it, uh, it's all about how should God's people live now. Uh, in anticipation of that future that he's going to bring to pass. What does it look like to be kingdom people now? Uh, and that's what that prayer is asking for. So it's not um, it's not first and foremost about God's overall sovereignty because we've already established that in the opening line of the prayer, uh, our Father in heaven. Uh, it's actually about God's people now submitting to his will, living those righteous lives that are suitable for the people of God, um, living as kingdom people, calling outsiders into that kingdom while we wait for that full and final revelation of the kingdom when Jesus returns. Uh, so yeah, it is It is talking about two different things, God's sort of big picture sovereign will versus God's will in our own lives, our obedience and submission to him in anticipation of that final kingdom. Does that make sense? Is that is that helpful? Mm, mm. Yeah, it's helpful to think about it as, as one prayer. It's not, they're not two distinct things. Yeah. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done together. Mm. Yeah, we do start to hit on kind of like a an, an idea of God's totally sovereign and his will is that none should perish, and yet some do. So there is this kind of slight difference between God's kind of overall will um, and his sovereignty that's got a slight distinction there. Yeah, and I think that's part of us living in this sort of overlap of the ages time where we are waiting for the full and final realization of God's kingdom in the meantime, things are not perfect here. So while they still might not be thwarting God's will, they're still not sort of righteous kingdom living things. So where we see wars, where we see torture, where we see murders, where we see you know people abusing, manipulating, taking advantage of each other, those are things that God is allowing to happen in his sovereignty. But we wouldn't say that they're righteous kingdom living. They're not according to his will in that sense. Um, but they are allowed according to his overall sovereignty. Mm. These are certainly very big topics. appreciate um, all of your contributions. Carol, it's been really helpful to, to work through what does God's will actually mean for our lives? How do we pray for it um, and, and live that out? To wrap up our part one of our podcast, we've got some fast fire questions Praying is hard, 
just in daily life and and making it a discipline. Do you have any good tips? What are your f- top five tips for bringing prayer into daily life? Sure. Uh, I feel like five is, it's hard to narrow it down to five, but I'll give it a try. Uh, and I think honestly, f- this probably depends on the kind of person you are, but it probably is helpful for everybody um, that it would be good to try and make prayer part of your routine. So whether that means setting aside a particular time every day uh, to pray, tethering it to something else that you do in the day. So you pray while you're having breakfast or you pray while you're going for your daily walk. Uh, So making it part of your routine in a way that sticks, I guess, I Mm. think is probably my number one tip. Uh, Praying while you're driving to uni. Yes, but don't close your eyes while you're driving. You can pray (laughs) with your eyes open. I've done that once. Definitely not recommended. Yep. Uh, It's fine to pray with your eyes open and it's much safer to do it that way while you're driving. (laughs) This is true. It's really, I found it really helpful praying um, for every meeting Mm -hmm. individually as they come up throughout the day while I'm driving to uni. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. It's a really helpful use of a car trip. Yeah, absolutely. Driving time is your friend. Yeah. And other sort of dead time, I guess you could call it like time between classes or time where, you know, you're running early or you were supposed to meet someone, but they didn't turn up. Great opportunities to make the most of those. Uh, I think praying with somebody when you're finding it hard to pray by yourself is a good tip. Uh, So we all go through times when prayer is hard and sometimes it just helps to have somebody else to keep you accountable, to do that with to help you to pray when you can't pray for yourself. Uh, So all those things. Um, So that might be another person. It might be a group. Uh, I think that's just really helpful. And personal prayer is really important. So it's not like you want to say, oh, it doesn't matter if you pray on your own as long as you're praying somewhere. It does matter that you pray on your own. But in those seasons where it's really, really hard to do that, sometimes you just have to change it up and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I've forgotten how many tips I'm up to, but whatever. Let's. This um, is the third this one. This is the third one, is it? All righty. Uh, so actually, I think changing things up is one of my tips. So uh, yeah, it's fine to have a particular set way that you pray, but sometimes it's really helpful to do things a different way. So if you normally pray sitting in a chair, why not try praying while you go for a walk? Or if you normally pray by yourself, try praying with a friend or vice versa. Uh, if you normally you know, just speak your prayer points out loud, maybe try writing them down or drawing them or, you know, just doing some different creative things. And especially if you're in a bit of a slump, that can be really helpful to try Mm. other things. There's no magic bullet for prayer. So I guess that's the caution I want to put with it is you can spend your whole life changing from way of doing prayer to different way of doing prayer, thinking that you're um, being more, I guess, prayerfully productive uh, when in fact all you're doing is distracting yourself from prayer by doing other things. So there's a caveat with it, but I do think it's helpful to pray in different ways at different times and at different stages in your life. This way really works for you this year, this decade. All of a sudden, you're finding that prayer is really a drag and you don't want to do it anymore. Change it up. Do something different. It doesn't matter how you do it. What matters is that you do do it. Yeah, and especially coming out of COVID, Hmm. quite a few people's routines have changed. Yeah. And what I hear you saying as well is that that you can kind of change two things. Like in some sense, you can change your routine, but you can change how you pray is when you sit down to pray. Because um, I think there is something nice about having a routine of this is the time I've set aside every day for prayer. Or what I used to do when I was working in engineering was I'd rock up to work 15 minutes early and spend 15 minutes in the car praying. And that was really useful. Um, but I like the idea of mixing up how you pray in those different times. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think it does differ according to your circumstances and your sort of state of mind and spiritual health and what's happening in your life and all those sorts of things. So uh, I think don't beat yourself up, but just do it. It's probably the, the two-sided coin there. Um, I guess this is a separate tip is I really like the Prayer Mate app. Uh, I think quite a few people are using it. If you haven't seen it, grab a friend, ask them, ask them to show you what it's like. It's free, so you could just download it and have a look. But um, yeah, it's it gives you a great way to organize your prayer points by category or by person. You can put in uh, different prayer points under each heading kind of thing. And each day it gives you a certain number of prayer points. You can specify how many that pop up that you can pray for. I've found that really helpful. Uh, I am not always as consistent at using it as I'd like to be, but it means that I don't just spend time praying for myself and the person that's most immediately on my mind. It means that I spend time praying for the world. I spend time praying for missions. I pray for people I've never met. I pray for AFES and IFES. I pray for things that are happening around the world in ways that I wouldn't if I was just left to my own devices. So I think that's really helpful as well. Mm. Yeah. And you can get, there's an AFES prayer net you can get on prayer mate. Yep. That's so you, right. you can get, AFES prayer points. Um, but you can also get things like Solid Joys by John Piper, which runs as like a little devotion at the start of the prayer time. So that gives you something to think about, some word um, from the Bible that you can then think about and pray about before you even start praying for everybody else, which also is really helpful. Yeah, I haven't used Solid Joys, but I do use the Church of England Collect uh, in the same sort of way, that that's a sort of fairly biblical, also fairly traditional kind of prayer that again, broadens your prayer horizons and kind of sets you up in the right mindset. Yeah. And we'll be discussing how we can pray for others in our part two of the podcast as well. Yeah, surprise. We didn't fit everything we wanted into the part one, so we're going to do a part two. Mm. That's right. So that was for, do you have one oh, more? I didn't Sorry, get to find. One more. All right, cool. One more. No, that's fine. Um, uh, honestly, other people, I think is my last tip. So yeah, one thing that always makes me pray is realizing like while I'm super busy or while I'm talking to someone else about how stressed I am about something, I realize that I actually haven't prayed about it. And so I think actually if you can be a bit thoughtful, a bit mindful, a bit noticing of your own habits in times that you're stressed, in times that you feel like you need to vent to other people, that sort of thing, that can be almost an internal prompt to remind you to pray. Uh, Obviously, ideally, you would pray before you get into that situation. But the reality for many of us is we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis and then remember to pray. If you can attune yourself to remembering just a little bit earlier, um, that's actually really helpful. And if you have friends who will, their first response is to pray, that's a really great friendship to cultivate because they will push you to be more prayerful. Mm. That totally happened to me this weekend. I was at best man at a wedding and the groom was quite stressed and I was quite stressed and everything was happening. And then like midway through the prep, I suddenly was like, I haven't prayed at all. Like this should be my knee-jerk reaction, but it wasn't at all. Mm. Um, yeah, and remember that. Uh, I think maybe I'll add one tip if that's all right. I think if you're talking to someone and they share some something that's going on or whatever, offering to pray is a really nice thing. Um but I recommend doing it then and there yeah. Um, or doing it like as soon as you leave that conversation if they don't want to pray with you. But actually developing a kind of culture where you pray at the end of conversations mm. with friends is a really, really helpful way of not just um, being prayerful in that conversation, but actually when you say you will pray, actually praying. Mm. Um, yeah. Because I'm very good at forgetting uh, that's where prayer mate is also very useful. Yeah, I was going to say, either make a well. note of it in your prayer mate straight away yeah. or pray for it straight away. Or yeah. do both. Or do both. Yeah. Yep. You mm -hmm. never have enough prayer. That's true. Well, that's that's not quite true, but 
for uh, most of us in living in the Western world. You yeah, can I feel we can prayer. always use more yeah. prayer. Yeah. <laughs> We're just imagining someone like sitting, not doing anything else for the rest of their life and just praying. And I'm, there's, there's an extreme there. But Again, this may go in the blooper reel, but I, I always so. thought I would make a great nun. Uh, because I would really like to... This is definitely not going to go in the blue rule. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would really like to work and pray, but just have my life devoted to that kind of prayerful work and workful mm. praying. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So number one, make it part of your routine. Use your dead time well. Part your tip two, praying with others. Tip three, changing things up, doing something differently when you pray. Four, use a prayer mate app to organize your prayer points. Five, be mindful of the times that you're stressed as an internal prompt to pray um, and ask your friends to pray for you and with you as well. And then our bonus tip, when someone asks you to pray, do it then and there or make a note of it immediately so you don't forget. Perfect. That's a very nice summing up. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Kirli and Danielle, for setting aside some time to talk about prayer. Uh, this has been part one of part two. So I'll see you guys back here next week um, or whenever we end up recording it. Uh, and I hope you found this helpful if you're listening online. I hope uh, it has helped you think about prayer and maybe pick up some practical tips, but also uh, remember the power of prayer as you pray. Remember who you're praying to. And so we pray that this podcast would be helpful in your prayer life. Um, and yeah, as we said before, there'll be some resources in the show notes and so make sure you check them out. Uh, and share this with friends, family, uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed. And um, yeah, we'd love to see you back here for part two at some point in the near future when we can organize it. So thank you, Kirlia and Danielle. We'll Thanks, end Joe. the podcast there. Thanks, Joe.